0: And sisters, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, first eight verses. The first eight verses you see here actually line perfectly with what we just came out of in chapter 4. Uh, Had I been asked to set chapters and verses, I would not have started chapter 5 until verse 9. But uh, I wasn't asked. So, I'm just teaching it as it lays there. Let's pray and read the first eight verses of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. Father, let us focus upon You and Your kingdom. Father, with the, so many distractions and tugs and pulls of this world, Lord, I ask, that even as we uh, just saying, Oh, how I love You, because You first loved me. Father, may we... May we focus on the heavenlies, that we may be of earthly value. You uh, have drawn us to that. And as I look at my brother Paul, the time of his life that he wrote this letter, but Father, I, I think the heart that he had, may, may we walk as he walked. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts open wide to your truth. Christ Christ alone, Amen, beginning verse one, chapter five of second Corinthians. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens, for indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with a our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that this mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. I set the stage with this last week. We looked at a couple of different verses a couple of different chapters actually and when i look at this and i think about what the apostle paul is dealing with when he wrote second corinthians there's part of me that has to just stand in awe i shared with you that second corinthians is based on the truth of ministry what is the ministry about and how do i fulfill my ministry you know i was in my sunday school class i was teaching basically a contrast between the arminius view and the calvinistic view and either one of them goes too far to one side you're going to end up in trouble Um, but what you'll see is is that god is absolutely sovereign yes but you do have a responsibility yes all right but you will fulfill the good works that god has predestined you to all right the thing is is you know one of my prayers is that i just don't shame him Okay, and one of the things that I see in the church today, and is is a is is a little bit troubling, and yet I think we get afraid of it. I don't know what it is, to be honest with you, is is the issue of death. I mean, let's be realistic; it's all around us, and and yet we and when i say that i'm trying to keep it in the context of christians uh, have an obsession with life um staying alive i mean we we have health clubs i you know you're like you're paying money to lift things really okay uh, i You know, and and if you belong to a health club and you're using it, praise God for you. (laughs) No, all of my life, I was paid to lift things. (laughs) I always thought that was made more sense. (laughs) But you see it. But you look at it. I grew up a meat and potato guy. And you didn't worry about fat on the beef. That made it Juicy. Okay, and now you, you don't want to eat that, and you need to eat this, and you don't want to eat that. And if it isn't, you know, I, I don't understand a lot of this. I, I was going through, those of you know me that know that I'm a diabetic, and, and I get these things from health people on my email. And they sent me healthy snacks for diabetics. Cool. I'm in. Let's check this out. So the first one on the list was mixed nuts. I was like, yeah. I'm in. They said, but you can only have one serving. Hmm. What's a serving? So I looked to it, and it's a half an ounce. (laughs) That ain't mixed nuts. That's a nut. (laughs) I was like, well, okay, what else can we have? Well, a good healthy thing for a diabetic are Beets? Beets. Beets. For a snack. Honey, you got any beets? <laughs> There's something about watching a football game eating beets. <laughs> well, they gotta be better. How about pumpkin seeds? Really? Pumpkin seeds, yeah. Lentils. I'm in. And then what? The Egyptians and that? Nah, I'm not eating lentils. And so I go through this whole list, and I was like, "Dude, I'm sticking with Twinkies." I'll take me a shot of insulin and have me a chocodile. I never heard to be that. And you sit there, and I said, "This will make my life longer." But you'll be miserable. And the point of a long life being miserable is, I don't know. But if you look at our society, isn't that what we do? What can I do to live longer? Okay, and I think we get it, we get it twisted around. Okay, many years ago, I want you to think about this, because I'm going to bring this up at the end of the message, but I want you to think about this. Many years ago, this church had a softball team. Okay, that was a long time ago. And we had a name. Anybody remember it? Priority one. That was the name of the team. Priority one. Okay. And um, um, we had Jesus as priority one. I want you to think about that for through the course of what you're going to hear today, because I'm going to bring another priority. I want you to think about. Okay. What is your priority? And I'm not talking it's Sunday and you're moving into the Christmas season. I'm talking on the day to day grind. What is your priority? All right. Paul faced death daily. And you know what? He preferred it. He would prefer to have died. Okay? Because when you have that mindset, then there is no fear of death. Okay? There's an actual welcoming of death. And I, and I think that in the Christian community today, we don't understand that Paul's understanding was to live as Christ, to die is gain. How about you? Can you honestly this day to say my priority is to live as Christ, and to die is gain? Better to depart and be with the Lord. I think about Paul's life at the time of the writing of this letter. And I mean, even the fact that he wrote like First Corinthians, he, this church was breaking his heart. He loved these people. He spent a long time with these people. And yet there was a sadness that he had for these people. There was a depression that he had for these people. He was living in discomfort. He he looked around and he'd seen failures everywhere. His love that he always had toward believers and his heart, his passion for the lost. And yet, nowhere in this man's life do you see a fear of death. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid to die. Paul knew what was on the other side of death. Paul knew it well enough that he preferred it. And it's very clear in this text. These first eight verses, we see the confidence in the Apostle Paul and we see a way to face the reality of death. I mean, look how many times courage shows up. Don't be timid. Don't be a coward about it. There's a confidence in it. We die with a hope. We die with courage. We die with joy. If you look in verse 8 there, we are of good courage. And then you see there, I say and the word translated in New American Standard is prefer. You know what it is? To be happy. That's the Greek word for it right there. I prefer to be happy. I would rather be happy. I would, to use the king's English, to be of good cheer. What would you be of good cheer there, Paul? To be absent from the body. That would make me happy. That would make me cheerful. To be absent from the body, Paul? Listen, we need to understand this is not some emotional encouragement. Okay. It, it, it's not like a friend coming up. I'm sure that the suffering of this time is can't compare it to the glory to come. I'm trying to encourage you. It's not some momentary grace of God to look forward to your demise. In the midst of I've gone in for my cat scan and my cat didn't scan. Okay? You see what I mean? I mean, you get ready to go to the doctor and well, I've got this little bump on me or I've got this little mole on me or I've got this little thing on me and can you just pray? And all of a sudden we get terrified. Well, what if? What if? I, by the way, I will be teaching on if next week. Okay? One word next week. Everybody happy yet? We are always in this text it is a constant in this text it never changes and it's always the same in this text i look at paul facing death and death was preferred if you look at the end of chapter 4 verse 16 yet our inner man is being what Renewed day by day. Why? We do not lose heart. I don't lose heart. Why? Because the inner man's being renewed day by day. Even though all the outward is in turmoil, it's strengthening of the inner man. Verse 17 this momentary light affliction, dude has been beaten with rods falsely arrested, been in prison numerous times, shipwrecked, stoned and left for dead, in danger in the country, in danger in the city, hated by the Gentiles and hated by the Jews. And he calls it light affliction. You think about that. He is the forerunner for the church to the Gentiles. And he is Satan's number one target. And he's bringing the wrath of hell upon Paul. Paul don't care. What are you going to do? Kill me? Oh darn! I have to go hang out with Jesus now. Paul says, I look at the eternal rewards. I look at this eternal weight of glory. It's all coming. It is beyond our understanding, and it is far beyond. Any suffering. Verse 18. We do not look at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are what? Temporal. You know what that word means? Temporary. It ain't going to last. But the things which are not seen are eternal with that view he could willingly put his life on the line for the eternals look what he's looking at I'm not looking at the temporary I love that momentary light affliction stoned and left for dead well momentary and it was just a light affliction you know what I call the apostle Paul I have, we have, you've heard the vernacular. He walked the talk. See, there are many who speak of Christ. There are very few who walk what they say. You ever thought about that? You know, I remember a guy telling me one time. You know, a lot of people talking about heaven, very few going. Paul gladly faced the horrors of this world because he knew that it would lead to the ultimate life in the next. Be of good courage, he says. I preferred rather to be absent from the body than to be at home with the Lord. Now, when I I read that in verse 8, I sit there and I said, that's a reality for believers. Now, think about that for a second. Here's the thing we got today. We've got varying ages of people, chronologically, okay? And spiritually, all right? The younger people are really holding tight to what? To life. The here and now. Gratification now. I have this all. Be- you've heard it. He's got this all before him. His whole life was before him. Now, if you've had health issues and say it's been kind of troubling, you're alone. I haven't got to be better than what I'm going through. But if you look at the average evangelical Christian today, what is their focus? Life! Life! This should be a reality for us. Listen, I have a hot news flash for you guys. We will die. It might be by an accident, it might be by an illness or a disease. It might be just pure aging. Parts just wore out. It might be a criminal action. Might even be by persecution for your faith. I have a question. Everybody has a different age here chronologically. I got one question for you. How will you face that reality? How are you going to face it? Death is inevitable. You know what? And sometimes God is so gracious, you can see it coming. Okay? But I'll give you a heads up. Seldom do you get to see it coming. But death will come. Death is very unsympathetic. Did you know that? death doesn't work on your time clock or by your schedule. And when death comes, did you know it's non-negotiable? Now I'm going to ask you a very serious question right now. Every one of you, I don't care what your age is. Okay? I'm going to ask you a very serious question. Does death frighten you? You know, as I was going through this, I was actually jotting down some notes early this morning. And I I came up with this little idea that uh, (laughs) you guys may not even like it. (laughs) I thought it was kind of cute. Do you understand that death is a release from a bad neighborhood into a perfect neighborhood? Huh? Huh? Did you ever think about that? A Christian shouldn't fear death. Charles Spurgeon made a statement in one of the books that I read by him that uh, the greatest event that will ever happen in a Christian's life is the moment of your salvation. You come out of the darkness and into the light, come out of the, uh, under the, a slave to sin to a slave to righteousness. And he says that, that death should be a non event to a Christian. He quoted a term that I'm going to use over the next few weeks. Anyone who would fear death is a sub-Christian. And I was like, oh, huh, sub. Is that like, what is that? You'll see what it is. You look around and Christians, for Christians, you see death. And I understand that death is a release. If you lose the terminology of the Apostle Paul, you see here that we are in an earthly tent. Okay, You notice he doesn't say it's an earthly home? It's an earthly tent. It's temporary. It's portable. It's fluid. And sometimes it just flat out wears out. Now, I want to give a qualifier on this. It's not that we shouldn't take care of ourselves. Okay? And the reason that I can say that is that we want to be here for useful service to Him. Okay? But the longing of our heart is to be with Him. That should be that should be the greatest longing in a Christian's being to be with Jesus. Philippians 1, Paul said, "If I stay here it is for my service to you." Think about that today in the church. See that a lot, don't you? I'm here because it's Sunday. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? I'm here to be a servant to you. And it's obvious he still wants me here. Or I'd be gone. Charles Spurgeon in a quote that I read earlier, speaking of the transition of a Christian into the heavens, says this, quote, we should glorify him in the way we live, but most of all in the way we die. I haven't thought about that, hadn't we? Complete, triumphant acceptance of acceptance of death, and no panic involved in it. But you know what? You look at the evangelical body today and we try to avoid death at all costs. And we will use all extremes to avoid death. I I remember a friend who was diagnosed with terminal cancer and he started, he got this machine and you could just put Stuff in it, and it grinded it up into a. He said it was a juice, but it didn't really look like (laughs) it's a little too lumpy for a juice. But he would take like carrots and drink that. No, (laughs) I ain't eating a carrot that don't crunch, (laughs) and I definitely ain't eating a carrot through a straw. He would take lettuce and. Cucumbers and, and just turn it into this, yeah. And I, he said, well, it tastes not, no, it's not supposed to look like that. If God wanted it to look like that, he'd have grown it like that. But he got into this, well, I, and I kept thinking, you know what? You've partied all your life, you smoked your brains out, you completely abused your body, so now you're going to abuse your body by putting that in it? And, it, and he ended up dying. And I kept thinking, there's no way you can grind that stuff up into a whatever it is and say, it's going to make me live longer. No, I don't want to live. If so i got to live on that. I don't understand that. And, and I don't have how, any idea. He spent a lot of money for this machine and its abilities and all the rest of it. And I kept thinking, gee, many crickets. Kirkus- What I see sometimes in Christians is that we put more emphasis on earthly relationships. We think them more important than the most wonderful is our heavenly relationships. Fact of the matter is, in my life what I have witnessed is my walk with the king. His death is the last and the best opportunity for a believer to have a bold and courageous faith. Because at death, that faith is seen. That faith is seen. If you can't face death with joy and gladness and happiness, as Charles Spurgeon says, that's sub Christian. Do you understand what the resurrection means? Death can't hold us. Paul's already told us absent from the body is what? And you're going to tell me that's worse there? I remember a person told me one time, and I couldn't believe it, pastor figures, huh? Um, I hope Jesus doesn't come back until I get to go to the Bahamas. Really? That's crazy. I've been to the Bahamas. <laughs> no. Huh. See the return of Jesus Christ versus the Bahamas. Hmm. You know, the tragedy was he meant it. And I know he meant it. Did you understand that you and I were made for heaven. Do you ever think about that? I was created for heaven. Do you know that everything that we should hold dear is there? We struggle with that. We have things here, relationships and and just you know passions and, and things that are just dear to me that are here. And I'll tell you right now, you're wasting your time. You're wasting energy. And to use Charles Spurgeon's terms, that's sub-Christian. The testimony of our faith says our hope is real and it works in the hour of death. When it's all on the line, that's when your faith is seen. If you have a greater desire to stay, then what is your faith? you you don't think about it very often but i have watched in the body of christ an obsession with healings where does that come from do you understand that that's inconsistent with christians Christians wanted out of here. You remember reading the stories about the Christians in the lion's den and in the arenas of, of Rome and all the rest of it? And they would stand there and they would sing praises to God because they were going to be there. I was reading a historical statement and I can't prove that it's true that when Peter, we all talk about Peter being crucified upside down. Okay. But the day before they crucified his wife. And he yells out the prison gates as they're crucifying his wife. And he says, you shall be in his presence soon, dear. Try that one. Where do you get that from? I've seen men who had a a man who had a wife who did not know the Lord. And his heart broke day in and day out that she would not come to Jesus Christ. He became very ill. And he was going in for a, a surgical procedure, and they said that if he survives this, he'll be fine. And if not, if he's out of here, he will die. So it was the three of us at his bed before the surgery. They were going to take him into surgery, and it was me and his wife and him. And he said, Terry, will you pray for me? And I said, What would you have me pray? He looked up at his wife and he says, I love you. And he says, I pray that if I cannot serve the body of Christ to the extent that I am right now, then take me home. He died two days later. And yet his wife's still not saved. And I've never seen a man want someone saved so bad as him. But he said, if I can't serve the body of Christ to the degree that I serve now, take me home. And I remember his wife after the funeral. She said, I guess he answered your prayer. That's tough, people. But he had no fear of death. Why? He actually looked at death as reward. This is what it's all about, people. This is why I'm saved. Why? I'm out of here. Death, you no longer have a sting. I have no fear. The great ruler of this world rules this world by the fear of death. And it has no power over a Christian. I like that. I was listening to two old guys talk. This is back in Wayne, Wayne Barber's church. Listen to a... We're going through a series of stuff on heaven and what it's like. And there's these two old elders in Wayne's church. I think both of them have had their faith become sight, if I'm not mistaken. I may be wrong. And one was standing there looking at the other. And they were talking about it. We're talking about, you know, being in the absence of sin and the presence, you know, this, there won't be no sin, you can't sin, there ain't no sin. And we're kind of doing all the rest of it. And this guy looks over at him and he says... And this is—I remember this as a quote. Once we get to heaven, we'll wish we had never had that bypass. Unquote. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know, I just prolonged this thing. It'd been better just to be here. Brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul is our example. I want you guys to think about this. This is this is for each and every one of us because you're all. And the Great Commission is what? Make disciples, right? right? It's not to make converts, share tracts, these other things. How many baptisms did you do? It's to make disciples. So now I want you to, if, if you don't want to be held accountable to this, cover your ears now, okay? But once I give this to you, you know what this means, right? You're without excuse. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. This is discipling. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Philippians 4, nine. Paul is our example. Did you get that? The things you have... Seen in me. Why? And if you've heard from me, that means I've got something that I'm imparting to you. So when you stand in heaven and you stand before the great throne, the Bema judgment, you can look with confidence to Jesus Christ and say, all of those people right there are acting just like me. That's discipleship. So Paul is our example. We should be acting like Paul. Paul was ready for glory. Paul was ready to be in the presence of the Lord. Paul was ready to be in the presence of supreme love. Paul was ready for the blessings of heaven. Paul was ready for perfection. Paul was ready for sinlessness. Paul was created and he was redeemed to hang out in the heavenlies. He faced death with good courage. Now we're going to look at three words today. We'll look at one word next week. Three words we hear, for we know. Why? We know that the next home is the best one. For we know. You come out of 17 and 18 of chapter 4, what does it say? Eternal weight of glory. It will be amazing to all of us. Paul knew that he could get rid of his earthly tent. And when he got rid of his earthly tent, he would receive a building, a structure from God. And Paul knew that the next dwelling place, the next home was the best. And he states it. For we know. Now, you've got to get a hold of this, brothers and sisters. This is not a wish. This isn't a cross your fingers. Okay? It's not a possibility. It's not some mystical hope. It is a fixed reality. It is a fact. It is based on the promise of God. The we there is who? Believers. Believers. Believers know. Believers know. Okay. How do we know? Because God has revealed it to us. If you struggle with death, I would challenge you to go back and read the greatest 58 verses. I know that's a lot. 58 verses of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And you can live there, brothers and sisters. You go back to that, and it will describe our future. And you can step away from it and say, That is the Word of God, therefore I know. Our resurrected bodies. What heaven is like. The knowledge that Paul speaks of here, he is speaking of a specific knowledge. It is a knowledge that is granted to believers by revelation. It's not from within. It is not human intellect. It is not mysticism. It is the power of God in the soul of a lost man who reveals the truth of creation and eternity. And it only happens to believers. It only happens to believers. It comes from the revelation of God. It comes from the revelation of God in his Book. The Bible promises emphatically over and over resurrection. Paul rejoices when he looks at death. Because he lives in the imperfect. He lives in the limits of the mortal. He is in the presence. He is in the power of sin. Every moment that he breathes on this planet. He is here in this tent. And the tent gets battered by the elements. It gets battered by the weathers. It gets battered by too much sun, not enough sun. It isn't insulated. It is uncomfortable. You have to keep it moving. You're always patching holes in it. That's the terminology that he gives. And he says, we know. And what is he talking about here? He's saying Corinthians... You even know this. I wrote it to you. I gave you 58 verses on it. You and I have to grab a hold of that. Because I'm going to ask you right now. Do you know? And I'm not saying, well, I hope. Nope. Nope. That's like when I hear people say, well, I'm a recovering alcoholic. What the heck does that mean? Well, as long as I don't drink, I'll be all right. Well, that's not recovering. That's someone who's afraid of jail. No, you've got to know this. Now, this is another one of those. I can't make you believe this. I mean, just because the Apostle Paul wrote 58 verses that deals with it. right? I can't even make you go read it. Now, I could be mean hearted and evil spirited right now and just read them to you. But you know what? I've already preached them to you. But it's there. And I have seen it over and over and over and over. I can't count the times that I've watched a saint step joyously and thrillingly and longingly into eternity. And then they make me sin because I envy them. And envy is a sin. Leave me here. When I see you again, I'm popping you in the nose. In love. We have been given God's word. That reality alone lifted the Apostle Paul up in all the horrific stuff that he was going through. Above all of his suffering. And listen, I don't know anybody who suffered more for Jesus Christ than the Apostle Paul. I really don't. And yet, he could look at the reality of the Word and say, so be it. It is a momentary, light affliction. He preferred death. Why? He was looking to his glorified body. Why? It's absent of sin. Do you realize that the glorified body has absolute is only absolutely perfect? That's all. It's just perfect. It can perfectly worship God for eternity. It has no ability to even be tempted by sin. Do you think about that? I mean, if you can't be tempted by sin, then you can never have pain. You can't have emotional pain. You can't have spiritual pain. You can't have physical pain. But I'd rather stay here and see the Bahamas. (laughs) What? Are you out of your mind? And yet, you know what? Every one of us in here... You know, I busted my knuckles up this week. (laughs) just something to do i add it to the bills of my customer this is the bill unless i bleed then i charge for the loss of my blood okay but anyway and it hurts it hurts when i was young i had what they call a fractured dislocation of my right knee okay i broke the femur and dislocated then the part that broke off and the lower part was dislocated so, I mean, you're going to do it. Do it right. <laughs> Don't be messing with this thing. Uh, it was kind of weird because the lower part of the femur was going right. The lower part of the leg was going left, and the kneecap was hanging on its own. <laughs> and you're like, dude, this is kind of—I had a, <laughs> a knee pad on a pair of football pants and there was no kneecap under it. It was really weird. You're like, wow, dude, that thing's pushed way over here. Huh. So, and the guy was saying, get up and walk it off. Okay. Anyway, I turned the double nickel on Friday. Okay. Um, that cold wind rolled in on Saturday. Uh, I think I was 65. Because that knee was just center going, you're going, oh, gee and you just walk out and it says remember that old football injury Yeah, you should have played soccer <laughs> I said dude there wasn't no soccer when I was growing up <laughs> nobody even knew what it was dog thought that was volleyball but anyway <laughs> you guys kick it and we punched it um, but there's days that it just hurts you know and, and people say well I don't want to hurt die what? Yeah, that's the only way I know to emphatically, you know, it's, we've got a joke in this church. If you're new to this church, you'll have to have to bear with me. We have this thing that people won't call me to pray for healing. Okay, in in this church, don't call him and ask for healing, because my definition of healing is what? Heaven. Okay, if I'm in heaven, I'm healed. Alright, so don't ask him to pray for your healing because he'll be praying you die. And I've never prayed that. Yet. Alright, that is what I want you to think about, okay? Because next week we're going to look at a word. One word. But I want you to think about something. I started this out. Remember we had a softball team? Priority one, right? When I look at the Apostle Paul's life, and let me tell you something, over the last, what, 10 years? Ain't we been in Corinthian letters for 10 years? Something like that? So I spent a little time with Paul. Okay? There's something I found out about that guy. He had three longings. Three things that I would classify as his priorities. I'm going to ask you how you do with it. Okay? Okay? Because we're going to deal with this over the next few weeks, months, maybe. Okay? Three. You think about this. You see the tent there, the earthly tent. Okay? But he has three priorities that you see in his life. And I'll deal with them over the course of the next few months. There's three. And they're in this order and they're specific to this order. Okay? I'm going to ask you what your order is. Okay? Number one, the rapture. Paul lived his life with the imminent, immediate return of Jesus Christ. The rapture. That's his number one priority. The fire in his belly was that Jesus coming back any minute, and if you people don't get the gospel, you'll pay the price eternally. Okay? Most of us in this room would say, amen. You know what the second one was? Death. That was his priority? Yeah, death. If I'm not here for the rapture, then better to be dead and be with Jesus. You know what his third one was? To live as Christ. Now, I'll expound on each of these over the next few weeks. But I want to ask you something, because I guarantee you, most Christians today, if you say, is your priority the rapture? Well, if you ask them that, they'd say yes. But I guarantee you that the bulk of Christendom right now changes the next two. What do you want to bet? Why? Because I want to live. And I want to avoid Death. Paul lived in the imminent return of Jesus Christ, but far better to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. But if the Lord wants it, I will be here as your servant. Okay? And it goes back to that simple phrase that you see at the beginning of verse 1 We all know. Well, no. Jesus overcame the grave. And all of his followers, guess what? Overcome the grave. We need to change our priorities, people. We need to get it back to where the Apostle Paul was. Because remember, the things you have seen me we put too much value on our earthly relationships and not enough value on our heavenly relationships that's what the apostle Paul is telling us and if you want to happily face death as a testimony of your faith when you enter into it because guess what we all get to go it's a blast and I have buried lost and I've buried saved when you bury one who's got the walk with Paul there's nothing that it stimulate you and encourage you and strengthen you than putting a saint to rest because they said father into thy hands I commit my spirit and the apostle Paul lived in the imminent return of Jesus Christ but he also would have preferred death If he doesn't catch the rapture. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that's a powerful life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our brother Paul. Lord, even though this topic seems to make many nervous. uh, Lord, I pray that we understand. We walk worthy of this calling. That our faith is that the grave has no chains on us. Father, that the death has no sting for us. That, Father, we are more than overcomers in Jesus Christ. And that, Father, we live in a state of immortality even now. Help us, Father, to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, help our priority be... Our relationship in the heavenlies we give you the praise we give you the glory in christ's name Amen.